Hello. Hey, Sarah. Good Hi. morning. Hello. Happy time zone. How are you all doing? <laughs> good, good. How are you doing? <laughs> Dr. Doing Sarah well. with the awesome hair. Hey, Thank yeah, you. Right. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, we got to keep it fun. Love it. Love yeah. Working the geek great. sector, got to keep it up. Hello, and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are, of course, Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories, um, and these conversations so far have been pretty damned big. Um, mm -hmm. I am, uh, I'm Philip Kelly. I'm moderating today, High World, uh, or at least the 50 people that continuously come back to listen to this we appreciate you thank you very much um that's our little that's our little hand uh, murder husband's world right now um uh we got uh we got the crew we got justin peniston um writer of hunter black if you haven't checked out his weekly comic do so and watch uh sonic prime coming on netflix next year uh how are you doing justin doing well good thank you good yeah of course um we've got lisa k weber this time i'm gonna get it right the artist of Hex 11 uh, and uh, our graphic designer du jour. How are you, Lisa? How are you doing today? I am fine, thank you. Fantastic. Uh, Kelly Sue, the writer of Hex 11, um, never afraid to pull a fast pun. Wow. You're welcome. It is me. How are you, Kelly Sue? <laughs> I don't even think she's afraid of a slow pun. I don't think so either. <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, we've got, uh, <laughs> hey, sometimes you need to put something on a spitfire and just let it marinate. And, and sometimes a pun can a pun can really, really be juicy after some marination. Wow. Uh, we've got. <laughs> what is going on? Dude? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, banter, it's banter. Uh, hi, Claire. Uh, join Hi. us, join us for this little banter session. Uh, I'm you know, you, scared now. <laughs> you do, you do, you do sexy, geeky cross stitch uh, patterns for the world uh, to see uh, uh, unexpected hobby um, geeks. Geeks guide. Uh, God, now I'm not. I'm stumbling oh, over. Uh, please, a Claire. There's a lot of words it. in the title. Yeah, I usually get it. I usually get it right on the first try. But uh, please tell <laughs> us what that is, Claire. Yeah, it's a geek's guide to cross stitch journeys in space. There's, there's a lot of words and even a you know a, a colon. If anybody should know it's it, amazing. I'm I'm glad it's you, uh, since you're the one who wrote the book and put it together. Um, and joining yes. us again. <laughs> I'm glad it's me too. <laughs> joining us again. Uh, hello, Dr. Sarah Hayes. Hey. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited. Yeah. Glad to have you back. Um, you know, you're she's a Sarah is a doctor of counseling psychology, a licensed clinician, and specializes in geek therapy. She serves as the people lead at Queer Women of Esports and clinical contributor for Take This. Oh, actually, where you know we didn't get this last episode, but where can we find that stuff online, real quick? Sure. So um, my Twitter is the easiest, especially for games industry stuff. But um, my handle is Dr. Hayes. So it's Dr. H-A-Y-S-P-S-Y-D, a um, whole bunch of letters. But you can find us uh, for the nonprofits. You can find QWE at, at Queer Esports. And then you can find Take This at, at Take This Org. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us again. Mm -hmm. um, before we dive into discussion, uh, Kelly, Sue, and Claire will take us through a recap, a, a quick-ish recap <laughs> of uh, Fuda Mono. But it'll be an entertaining one. So stick around for it. <laughs> Oh man, so many things going on. Okay, 
Will Graham's becoming continues. He has gone from beautiful troubled loner to beautiful manipulative schemer. His attempts on Hannibal's life have been thwarted and now he must figure out who to rip next to prove he's not the Chesapeake Ripper. To quote the Spice Girls, two have become one. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hannibal composes a new song on his harpsichord. Sorry, I need a moment to process the Spice Girls. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, okay. Well, I just need to say that that's my favorite Spice Girls song, so yeah. kudos. <laughs> Quality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My apologies. Jack remains unconvinced that Hannibal could be the Ripper, causing us all to question whether he is suited to the job of criminal profiling. Will finally cries Cannibal. He explains to Jack again that the Ripper sound kills in sounders of three or four because he doesn't want, quote, the meat to spoil. If the Ripper is killing again, you bet your ass Hannibal is somewhere throwing a dinner party. Jack rolls his eyes just in time for us to cut to <laughs> Hannibal chopping up a heart and flirting with Alana. He smiles while talking about his near-death experience and how his heart feels skewered, this guy, but then says he's ready to get back out there. Cue the Rolodex and recipe box. He'll never believe it, but a body turns up. It some shitty councilman sewn into a tree and filled with poisonous blossoms. Wouldn't you know it? Pretty much all a homeboy's organs are gone. Jack heads to Hannibal's to sip some brandy and chat about this new body, but Hannibal has the audacity to say he can't think about death anymore. He just wants to celebrate life. Turns out he's a little too high on his own supply and mentions throwing a dinner party. Jack finally gets it. Here's where things get twisty. Chilton records Gideon describing Hannibal's dining room in detail to Will. Chilton's mouth waters as he explains to Jack that Hannibal does fit the profile. The BAU team goes to work on Tree Man and finds some cute little microbiomes specific to a certain kind of Virginia water. Alana and Hannibal are in love now, I guess, and decide to distance themselves from Will because he's the toxic person in the relationship. <laughs> I just added that. Uh, Hannibal shows up to say goodbye to Will because no one could ever be more dramatic than him and then does a remarkable job impersonating a human man whose feelings are hurt. Jack shows up to question Abel Gideon, who instead chooses to make Chilton look like an idiot and ends up beat to shit and dropped atop a metal cage above the orderly station. Finally, the dinner party arrives. Lots of well-dressed, totally unaware Baltimore assholes stuffing their faces with people prosciutto roses and human beef roulade. Jack shows up and Hannibal is tickled until he says he can't stay but takes some food to go. Jack's got his balls back. Hannibal is visibly twitched by Jack's request, but not so distraught that he can't toss a creepy wink at Chilton from across the room. Jack drops the meat off with Zeller and Price to test it, and Hannibal goes to bed with Alana. Girl, you need some help. <laughs> While Alana sleeps, Hannibal heads to Abel Gideon's hospital room, ready to play doctor. Unfortunately for Abel, his back is busted and he resigns himself to death. The next morning, instead of finding Gideon, they find the suspended body of his guard hung from fishing wire. Oh, hung from fishing mart. Lures like Will's mean that Will is not only innocent top to bottom, but that the Ripper is getting closer. 
Hannibal gets back home just in time for Alana to wake up and look at him all dreamy-like. They're all Romeo and Juliet now saying a lot of poetic words that don't actually mean anything until they're interrupted by Jack. He says, Gideon's missing, where were you last night? Alana shows up, soap opera style, in Hannibal's t-shirt and nothing else, and says, he was with me all night. Hannibal gives a very, how could you Jack, hair toss and leaves. He copes by chopping off Gideon's leg and feeding it to him in an elaborate roast. Jack gets a call from the lab saying they found some kind of rare tree bark in a lure and figured it's inside some creepy ass farmhouse off some dirt road. Jack heads out there alone and snoops around looking for some clues and boy does he find one. Down a well in the style of Buffalo Bill, it's none other than Miriam Lass. Alive and well. Grab a drink of water because you just ran an emotional marathon. Uh, uh, yeah, there's obviously that if you haven't seen the episode in a while, all of that I think was necessary because it's a lot of stuff happening. Um, and in, to some degree, Will Graham takes kind of a seat in the sidecar in this episode as everyone spins out of control after his, what is his second attempt at killing Hannibal. Everybody's acting like, Hey, you just tried to kill Hannibal. He literally tried to shoot Hannibal at the end of season one so it's like it's not like he hasn't tried before which i i think is kind of funny but this is obviously uh darker i think uh, mm-hmm. uh that so, wasn't premeditated exactly that wasn't yeah. premeditated exactly mm-hmm. um and in this chaos of everybody sort of stumbling about after will's uh attempt at hannibal's life hannibal is left to create a new person suit that we've already kind of spent talking a little bit of time about the one of the winter casual and wear victim with his hair tossed dashling to the side like an emo playboy um he seduces <laughs> alana bloom uh you know from hannibal's point of view she is someone to threaten uh, uh you know to to will to threaten alana and to use as an alibi but we haven't given a lot of stage time to alana bloom so apart from Hannibal's machinations. Uh, I'm curious as to what's going on with her in all of your minds. Uh, she's competent and smart and all of these amazing qualities, but has always had this absolute blind spot for Hannibal. Um, uh, so yeah, let's, uh, you know what, Sarah, you've been inducted into the group now. Let's go ahead and throw this your way first, because I'm curious uh, as to your thoughts on Miss Bloom. I feel like she ticks a lot of the boxes of the stereotype of the like woman psychiatrist or caretaker or therapist. Like she's empathic, she's caring, probably a little too much, which I mean, a lot of us can identify with in the field. Um, But I feel like she is looking at someone who she's falling for the trap that Hannibal is laying out. And he's not even being that like, skillful about it it's kind of lazy (laughs) right (laughs) but she's she is enticed by him both by his prowess which like in the field i can tell you even for psychiatrists who are medical providers who are trained with a rotation in psychology they don't make the kind of money that hannibal has so she's enticed by that which in our field it's it's hard to become that successful so i'm sure there's some allure of like how do i get that but also he's been a mentor he's been there in her life she's always looked up to him and confided in him there's this implied history so it's natural that of course we're going to play on the gendered like 
she's going to fall for him because she admires him. She loves him, which is almost tantalizing because it's like, of course, yep, go ahead. You've, you've been backing him up at this point and you're so biased, but you're still doing consulting on Will, which you shouldn't be doing. Um, <laughs> but yeah. scorned by one, attracted to the other. Let's flip flop. <laughs> oh, presumably, they both left Will behind now uh, at this point, which, uh, you know, there's right, that. They said that they buried him. <laughs> yeah, they buried him. Together. Yeah, yeah. And there's that the, the amazing series of shots as they're talking in bed where the camera is tilted on its side. So it looks mm-hmm. like they're standing upright, um, kind of and giving Alana Bloom, putting her into an off-center sort of world, uh, one that's kind of turned, uh, you know, the wrong way. Um, uh, but who who else would like a, uh, their take on Alana Bloom at this point? Kelly, Sue, I see your mouth I moving. I yes. make a lot of jokes about Alana and how she needs help. <laughs> but I also want to take responsibility for the fact that I would do the same exact thing. um for all the reasons that Sarah outlined and also because I think when and Sarah you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm totally talking about something that I don't clinically know anything about um to be surrounded by so much tragedy and death and horror and to see one person who feels sort of like a port in the storm um who can understand the level of darkness that you're dealing with in your life. I think that that was the same reason that she was drawn to Will in the first place. Um, And I think that that is, you know, aside from all of the ways that on paper, Hannibal is, you know, remarkable. He's well-dressed, he's well-spoken, he's intelligent, he's a mentor, he's got this amazing world right um but i also you know hannibal's like the spider weaving the web right and he becomes a perfect mirror for whatever anybody wants to project onto him that he can then utilize to his own gains um because we know without a shadow of a doubt hannibal has not buried will i mean please (laughs) yeah like not even close. Alana might have, but it was in that, and the way that you described that scene and how it was shot, um, and why I jokingly said that they're saying a lot of really poetic things that don't mean anything was because it was like Alana having a conversation with herself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for the record, trauma bonding is absolutely a thing. You're not yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I even looked up research on funerals and sex because I yeah. was intrigued by that. Like, why are you waking up talking about that? But also to put that <laughs> aside, there is evidence to show that like grief, yeah. the way that we interact with grief, um, research shows grief can lead to more sexual desire or engagement and in intimacy because it's closely tied to a sense of mortality, a bolstering of self-esteem and reinforcing secure attachment, especially for those who have anxious attachment styles. So that's absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, it sure, like, I, I'm glad that it's backed up because it sure sounds right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, I spent a lot of this episode just like just you know talking to the screen being like Hannibal you lying slut (laughs) (laughs) like he just lies through this entire episode and he's such a slut the whole time 
Like from the very beginning, his whole like flirtation with Alana while he's chopping up hearts or whatever. It's like, give me a fucking break, dude. Oh my um, God. <laughs> there was a like lot of yelling at Hannibal victim, for me as well. Like playing such the victim the whole time. Like, mm. oh, poor me. And I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm so mad at him in this episode. <laughs> Seriously, when he goes to say goodbye to Will, I'm like, dude. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. so this wow. is, but this question is about Alana. And so to speak to Alana, it's, and I'm going to admit something. It's hard for me. It's always been hard for me to really connect to the character of Alana in this show mm. because she is such a pawn between Will and Hannibal. I feel yeah. like she often gets reduced to that. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I have a hard time, like really relating to her. Like we talked about how much we found a way to relate to Beverly Katz. Um, and you know, we've talked a lot about how we relate to all of these characters and Alana, I've always struggled the most with finding a connection to, mm -hmm. because I think that she is this, she is this kind of like, it's like, she's in the story to serve a purpose, not yeah. to run her own thing. Um, yeah. and so I, I, it's like, I've never really felt like she's a full character because so much of her story is just wrapped up in the dynamic of Will and Hannibal. Mm -hmm. um, she is the closest thing to an original character on the show. Mm -hmm. um, in the books, it's Dr. Alan Bloom. And mm -hmm. so certainly there's no love triangle with Alan Bloom, Will Graham, and, um, and Hannibal. So yeah, a lot of this stuff is really manufactured for the show. And so is not, maybe doesn't feel as rooted in character because she's the youngest character, so to speak, of the, the cast. Yeah. yeah. And as far as like my heart, I've talked about this before. My heart is for Will. It's not for Hannibal. I love the dynamic between Will and Hannibal and I love the romance between them. I really, really do. But it's like, I... I'm 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 for, I'm for will <laughs> mm -hmm. so when Alana is like oh I'm gonna like you know follow my heart to Hannibal and Hannibal is acting like such an asshole <laughs> particularly in this episode I mean not that he's not one all the time but mm -hmm. you know we're charmed by him so often that in this episode in particular, I was not charmed by him. And so it's like for this to be the episode where Alana goes to Hannibal's bed, I was just like, I've always with this episode been like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> to back up it's... Lisa here, Hannibal's line when he's saying goodbye to Will and says, I'll give Alana Bloom your best. Those are the words of a bitch. Yeah. Oh, well, he, and well, what he well, said before that, because I wrote that down, what he said before, you found a way to hurt me. I wonder how many more people are going to get hurt by what you do. I'll give Alana Bloom mm -hmm. your best. Yeah, there's that's yeah. the context whole threat. Super who's, important. The threat, yeah. Guess who's but next up on the, the yeah, and, in my yeah. Rolodex. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I would go so far as to say he's not there to say goodbye to Will. No. He says that only because he's being recorded. Mm -hmm. He is there Certainly, yeah. to say, oh, you won't play. Because we can play. <laughs> right. I, I didn't realize you were as good at the game. We can play. Oh, let me get my good pieces out, you know? And I um, say he's being a bitch only because, like Lisa was saying, 
up until now, Hannibal is very measured. Mm-hmm. He doesn't react really. He always has the right thing to say and says it in few words. So the fact that he would be this emotional, it just yeah. was me being like, well, Hannibal Whoa. is at least in the context of the show, this is the closest to cornered he's ever been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, the FBI was in his home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he's, yeah. he's starting to get, you know, suspicions are yeah. starting to be aimed at him. Yeah. And so right. he is lining up his. Yeah, we'll get sorry, to I'm not your yeah. guy. Yeah, exactly. But, he's, we'll get to him in a second. Get back to Alana. Yeah. Yeah. Let me talk to Alana he's, about Alana real quick. Yes. Alana. Now, okay, first of all, let me just say my psychological training consists of having been a bartender. <laughs> having watched Hannibal yeah. and having grown up with crazy people. Okay. And, but when I see Hannibal, I mean, Alana, I see someone who had a domineering, probably abusive father because she's clearly drawn to victimized, weak seeming, fragile men. Last week, I talked about how Beverly did not infantilize Will. Alana's all about infantilizing Will. And that is why she was into him. You know, and Hannibal, no dummy that he is, uh, picks up on that. And he's like, okay, she is my next move. So I'm going to seduce her by being wounded. I mean, that's as, you know, it's straight up, you know, I see her, she, she will like me if I'm weak. So I'm going to pretend to be weak. Um, and I mean, this show really hinges, this episode hinges on threatening Alana. Because the first time we see Alana is immediately after Will says to Jack, who is he going to have to kill before you open your eyes? Cut immediately to Alana. Alana. You know, like dead on. Mm -hmm. An Alana looking as feminine and winsome and attractive as she ever does. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a very carefully staged shot. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, you know, when Alana felt like Will was being victimized by Jack, Alana got turned on by him. And now that she feels like Hannibal's being unfairly attacked by Will, she gets turned on by him and she gets all flirty with him. Um, when she says to Jack about Will, he's not scared anymore. You know, he's lying. He's manipulating. She's basically saying, I'm not interested in him anymore. You know, because he's showing you know, a toxic form of it, but he's showing strength. He's showing, he's becoming empowered. And that's not the kind of man she's attracted to. Um, So, I mean, she's getting played, you know, left to right. And when Hannibal threatens her to Will, that's the exact midpoint of the episode. Mm -hmm. That's like the stakes are being raised right now. I will give Alana Bloom your regards. By the way, you know, we're talking about people who are going to get hurt by you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Alana, the fact that she's getting used in this way has nothing to do with the fact that she is smart. She is competent. She is compassionate. You know, she has all these great qualities, but yeah, she is just a piece on the board. Yeah. Yeah. Claire, do you have any uh, final thoughts on Alana Bloom before we go to break? Um, well, I think it's important to not just look at Alana in terms of why she is attracted to these particular men, which I agree is firmly rooted in kind of a, you know, 
unhealthy relationship to, you know, she's, she certainly recognizes and, and identifies with um, people who are intelligent and capable and all of these other things and, and, and display abilities that I think she admires and wishes she, or aspires to, but not in a Frederick Chilton kind of way. Um, I, I think it's really, really key to look back as well at, you know, at the end of the previous episode when, you know, Frederick Chilton turns to her and says, you know what, you are like catnip to killers. What is that about? Like, why are these people, why do these people open up to you? And I think there is something significant there. And that is part of Alana's agency that she doesn't recognize and is not handling in a healthy way, which is that she is very much gravity. She gravitates very much to the victim, like Justin was saying, and that's exactly why Hannibal is, is assuming this role now of, oh, I, you know, I, I've been dealt this horrible blow and um, I just need someone to help me work through this. It's, it's, there's no difference between Will and Hannibal for her at the moment. She has merely transferred Hannibal for Will. Um, and it is, and, and I think legitimately, you can't put Hannibal into this category, but I think legitimately that is part of the reason why, quote unquote, the killers are attracted to her. The people who are, are looking for someone who will give of themselves to an unhealthy degree. And that's, that's all Alana. She is all about giving herself. And it's not, you know, in, in a healthy, uh, when it's done healthy, healthily, um, it, it's an admirable quality, but here it's, it's very toxic. Um, well, I think she's the only actual good therapist on the show. I, I think that's where that comes from. I mean, Hannibal is manipulative as hell. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But she's sure. actually interested in people getting better, you know? Um, you right. know and Frederick but at the same Frederick. time, but, but at the same time, always <laughs> overstepping that bound of how much she's giving of herself in the relationship, yeah, right? Like sure. it, it always moves over into this much too personal um, zone, which is, you know, that's the only reason why she ends up in bed with Hannibal at this point, you know, is that, that he now can fulfill that role for her of needing something from her in that, in that regard. So it's. Well, her, um, her line of dialogue about not being her own psychologist and getting out of her way. Uh, I feel like it's a very skewed sort of reaction to what happened between her and Will, you know, uh, it's interesting that that's the that's the, this is the path that she's taken. I remember in an earlier episode, I asked everybody, how would it feel if Hannibal were manipulating a woman like he was manipulating Will? And I mean, we're getting that reaction right now from all of you. Uh, it's very, I'm seeing it as a very different reaction than how everybody was sort of excited and, uh, you know, about this kind of game between Will and Hannibal. Now it's kind of gross and disgusting when we see Hannibal. Like, yeah. I, I cringe when, Hannibal kissed Alana. Uh, I was like, oh God, no, no, no. I, like it's the, it's the Phantom of the Opera, you know? Um, it's got well, that even, sort of even feel. Even Phil, down um, to the detail of it feels different when Hannibal is mm -hmm. roofing 
Alana oh, yeah. than it does when he's he's Roofing clearly well. roofied well yeah, over yeah. and over and over we, again. We, we have a very distinct, different reaction to it when he's doing it to yeah uh, alana that i see i actually don't but yeah but i i don't either like i don't like it when he does any of that stuff to will either i yeah i think i, like, I, I, I think i, I, yeah. cringe I think as well. my point there is that it's, as a woman but, watching that scene where clearly hannibal's roofied alana i had to talk to myself pretty heavily about okay he roofied her but it was not out of a direct intent to to render her unconscious so he can rape her yeah. it is roofing so that she falls asleep afterwards and does not wake up like i that's my the difference in my reaction to those actions um in in terms of a gender you know sure sure oh, i i um, definitely think that me seeing it differently is because i've never walked in a woman's shoes i don't yeah. have those same you know like i can't relate you know and i, and yeah. I know it, i mean know, I, I, um, cause yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely have a, I, I can recognize that I have a different reaction to when Hannibal does it to Will versus when he does it to Alana, um, as a, you know, cis het woman, I do take comfort in homoeroticism. And I think that I, you know, I've, kind of examined that in myself a bit to be like, why do I respond to that? And I think it's because I feel safer. Um, and um, when it's not happening to me or a stand-in for me, um, I, can, mm -hmm. I can detach and not feel threatened in the immediate. And I think that that's why um, why I, I respond to the Will Hannibal stuff so differently than the Hannibal Alana stuff personally. That's the best yeah. explanation I can come up for why sure. my no. brain does that. that. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect that sense. That makes a lot yeah, of makes, sense. Makes a load of sense. And, and on that bit of like, yes, keen observation, uh, we're going to go to a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, you know, this episode is very much about Hannibal ret retaking control of the narrative after almost having been killed, uh, you know, killed and taken out, uh, telling Alana that he's composing his song as a form of therapy. And we, so we see the notes turn into flowers, the direct correlation is made, and Jack is kind of at the center of this composition. Um, and then up until the final reveal of Miriam Lass, as Hannibal proudly finishes both compositions at the same time. Um, and so let's talk about these machinations. Like, uh, and let's talk about Jack a little bit. Like what's even keeping him looking? He doesn't necessarily, I mean, obviously he's been on the fence for a few episodes. He talks about it, but he doesn't have to keep indulging Will and, and his ideas. Like um, he doesn't have to listen to Chilton, who obviously he probably doesn't trust at all to, to any degree as a therapist, especially with everything that's happened. Why is he finally starting to listen? And why does Hannibal still want to help Will help in quotes? Um, who would like to take this uh, uh, on first? It's a big one. But, uh, any, any, anybody, uh, Claire? 
I just wanted to start by saying that when we're talking about him composing a song as a form of therapy, is there anything sexier than a butthurt guy sitting on a piano bench or in this case, upping it a level to a harpsichord bench? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, I just wanted to start there. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I. it's interesting because, you know, we talk about Hannibal you know, setting up these circumstances to see what will happen. And I think it's clear that he, he wants Will to become what he wants Will to become, which we didn't even like last episode, talk about the imagery of the antlers mm -hmm. slash wing things yeah, yeah. coming out of freaking Will's back. And, and we get more of it this episode, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, breaks, right? Breaks like his, in the cage, uh, in the in cage. cage. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's, always kind of seen in in respect to will kind of flexing his mental um uh his con his concentration and his ability to kind of you know center himself we've gone from the you know visualizing himself as a fisherman in that very peace and peaceful and calming you know environment to this you know manifestation of like just completely metamorphosizing into this like horror you know, imagery, um, which I think is interesting, but, but Hannibal, you know, clearly wants will to transform, but at the same time has a butthurt reaction to will deciding to try to kill Hannibal as well is, and it feels like Hannibal both wants that to happen and wants to have a, a kind of a, a reaction to it as well and like say no i you know i don't want you to to to, to try to kill me even though he's trying to create that in will at the same time and right. it's such a fascinating conflict um i i don't i don't know that i always settle really firmly on understanding the the logic that Hannibal is working with. And I don't know that it is entirely logic. Maybe I, that's just where I have yeah, to accept I, that Hannibal is also an emotional being, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh -huh. and not I read completely... it a little bit differently than like, because I feel like Hannibal spends so much of the episode lying and playing a part mm -hmm. um, that I feel like his butthurtness is an act. I think he's proud mm -hmm. of Will. I think he's happy that yeah. Will reached out to him in this way, in this violence, murdery way. I think that's I think that's where Hannibal wants to put Will. I think that's the path he wants to put Will on. And so I I read it as like he's not mad at Will at all. And him, you know, doing the whole thing with Alana um, to like get at will. I don't think it's, I mean, I think it's to continue will on this path. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's like this act of revenge. I think it's an act of love for will. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, yeah. And I agree with all of those aspects of it. I guess I have a hard time envisioning Hannibal, not having an actual reaction to the fact that he did nearly die. Like, like the, the, the end of the previous episode was, was legitimately a near-death experience for Hannibal. And is, is that okay with him? Is that like an acceptable outcome? Um, I don't know. At Kelly this Sue. point, even? I don't Kelly know. Kelly Sue, what do you think? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, 
think I need to revisit the original question. Yeah. What is Please. it that keeps Jack looking? Why is he finally now starting to listen to Will? <laughs> I think that um, it's sort of like you can only ignore a red flag for so long, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, I think that Will's involvement from the get-go was predicated on Jack ignoring the red flag that Will just is. And so it disempowered what Will had to say from the very beginning about what's real and what's not. Like every, all the time, Jack was like, well, you know, Will's unstable or whatever. <laughs> um, so I think that it took a Miriam last repeat with Beverly for him to actually be like, okay, so what I'm operating with isn't working because this guy is still out there. We still don't know who the fuck it is. It isn't Will. He's still killing. And now he's, this has come to my home. And so I think the death of Beverly really primes Jack to be open to information that he didn't want to see earlier. Mm -hmm. And so when Will is able to say like, especially from a place where Will now has like literally nothing else to lose, like nothing. And he's still in there being like, there's going to be another murder. And I swear to God, there's going to be a dinner party. And then tell me I'm wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And so the second that Hannibal is like, yes, I'm prepping my dinner party as a way to self-care. And we <laughs> Jack finally be like, oh my God, I came here to talk to him about a body. And now he's talking to me about a dinner party. I'm putting two and two together now, finally, right? Um, and I think that that's Jack's piece. And I think that what Lisa said about Will is completely spot on. Hannibal wants to help Will because he's proud of him. He, I think he loves the way that Will is, you know, behaving from behind bars. Mm -hmm. I think that he's actually pleasantly surprising Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, Sarah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think that the theme of this episode for me was sunk cost fallacy because Jack has invested so deeply that Hannibal's this expert. He's a person that I consult with. He's this, you know, I can trust him. I, I have made both ethical and judicial decisions on his word. All of a sudden, everybody keeps shouting out like, hey, dude, dude, sus. Like he's <laughs> stop, like stop ignoring the fact that Bodies die, parties happen, hello. But Jack continues, like, he sits there, fireside, and has this, like, little glass of liquor with him and is so happy to pour his heart on, like, I don't trust Will anymore. And he he so deeply wants to trust in Hannibal, but that's there's a betrayal there because Jack has always seen himself as so much less emotionally malleable or manipulatable as he is. So he holds up that fragile shell, but Hannibal sees him as like, I, the way I see it, I, I think Hannibal doesn't see him as a threat until halfway through the episode where like he does sort of see the thing you can't unsee. And then we get that gross feeling when he goes to the party and we see Alana eating the prosciutto and we see other people eating the food. 
which eating is a visceral thing for a lot of people. It's a gross thing. So there's that was so instrumental in like Jack getting the veil lifted and being like, oh shit, Hannibal's Hannibal's not who I thought he was. And also the shame and the like destruction of pride that happens of I was wrong. And so I think that's where Jack can't let it go now because like any good detective, a dog with a bone, all of a sudden he realizes there's more bones in the pile than he thought there was. Mm-hmm. Jack has but, also consumed a lot of, of protein calories. Oh, yeah. And so who would want to admit yeah. that they ate that? Yeah. Like the awful yeah. wasn't, wasn't, it was more awful than you thought it was. Oh, right. my. Right. Um, you know, I think I would, I would echo that Hannibal probably has this attachment to Will and is proud of him in a sense of, like, he's been poking the bear for a long time. Like, what's in you? What you got? And it's like, finally, you make a move. But then I think he's also checking him at the door of like, don't go that far. We're supposed to be partners in crime. And I'm trying to hand this off to you and yeah. seat you yeah. firmly in the blame. So don't don't knock me out. I'm just trying to put you in my game. I'm not trying to have you break it. Yeah. So I yeah. think like show some that. show some appreciation, would you? I'm yeah, I'm helping you uh, understand something you don't. Yeah. Uh, about Parenting. yourself. Yeah, you're growing exactly. up and I, you're not going the direction I want you to go. So go back. You know, that way. we we've we've yeah. been using murder husbands and I, I i integrated murder baby into the uh lexicon recently and you know will is kind of a murder baby also to hannibal in a way in that regard um justin uh thoughts before we head off to exquisite corpse you're on mute but that's it's okay i think that jack has uh always wanted to believe will yeah i think that he has felt that he could not because the evidence wasn't there and he has to follow the evidence. That's his job. Um, so I think that when the slightest, the slightest hint of actual evidence of actual like working theory, you know, presents itself, he gets intrigued. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is like Sarah said that he's, you know, he's all in on Hannibal. So <laughs> yeah. he's resistant to that being the case, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the Hannibal Will thing is pretty simple. I agree with Lisa and and Kelly Sue that you know I, I don't think Hannibal's that butt hurt. I, I he I think pleasantly surprised is exactly the way to describe him. I think he's like, oh oh, look at look at you, you know. Um, I think that, and I agree that Hannibal doesn't want necessarily want Will trying to kill him. He's glad that Hannibal that will's reacting in such a way and i think it's you know he's will started trying to kill hannibal when hannibal had him framed so yeah. now hannibal's unframing him straight up yeah you know yeah. he's letting him out you know he's he's straight up you know he's saying that look the chesapeake ripper did this not will you know he is setting will free mm-hmm. um and i think it's because now the goal that will's in a place where murder is actually in his heart the goal is to have murder and Hannibal in Will's heart. Right. And for that to happen, Will has to be free, you know? Yeah. And he has to know that Hannibal's the one that freed him. It's uh, an interesting play to kill Beverly just before any of that. And like, like it's such a, a tight, well, he like, didn't, it's like he didn't a balancing act. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. 
Well, was, no, he did choose to kill Beverly. No, you, what I mean is, what I mean is, <laughs> he, it wasn't. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't feel like he had a choice. It, it wasn't. Yeah, Beverly. it wasn't That's, a part of the initial plan. Uh, right. He, he didn't to plan to point. kill Beverly. Is right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, he killed Beverly because he had to. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, in his mind. Absolutely. Um, and I, I will say that I, I've always been hesitant to think that uh, Miriam Lass was officially dead. Uh, so. This one didn't surprise me so much as uh, Abel Gideon still being alive surprised the hell out of me, especially after especially after you see him imagining Beverly there. I'm like, is he imagining Abel Gideon there now, right now? Another person uh, that in his life that he was so it, it didn't settle in until everybody else is talking to Abel Gideon. They can't all be sharing the same dream thing. Um, but also this whole episode is about Hannibal, you know. Yeah, proving that he's not the Chesapeake Ripper. Yeah, I oh, know absolutely doing a series no. of Ripper murders and then not using their parts as food. Yeah, that's this is all part know, of that composition that he's yeah. composing in this episode to take control of the narrative. And uh, yeah, returning Miriam Lass is straight up getting Jack to take his eye off the ball, if nothing else. Ballsy, but oh, yeah. she's—I mean, wouldn't she? I mean, we'll find out. But my first inclination is that she knows who got her in the first place and would point the finger directly at Hannibal again. It's a really interesting move uh, on my part, not knowing what comes next. So, uh, but what comes next for us in this episode is an exquisite corpse, uh, which I'm, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand off to Lisa right now. I segue, Phil. Thank you. Thanks. Um, uh, wow, this one. Um, <laughs> this is such a good one. It's uh, it's very midsummer, um, very mm. cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I loved the transition of the musical notes to the flowers and that whole kind of kind of segue to the body um, was really really cool so trees flowers <laughs> i Poised did like a bunch of research poison. into like i usually just kind of start if i've got an exquisite course by being like okay what's the symbolic nature of all of these things and obviously it's really hard to pick one <laughs> when it comes to trees they mean so many things i mean they're they are life they are um they are growth and fertility and all of these things. But a couple of words that actually really kind of struck me were um, that trees can symbolize um, resurrection and rebirth, which I feel like is a lot of what Hannibal is doing in this episode. Like he just had this kind of brush with death um, in the last episode where he is like literally like posed like he's on a crucifix in that previous episode. And um, it's like, again and again, we kind of keep returning to these kind of like, you know, Christian symbolic themes. It's like wild how it just keeps coming up. And of course, you know, we know Hannibal definitely thinks of himself as God. Um, and it's just this like continued expression of power um, in regards to the flowers, because I thought that it was really interesting that um, 
Jack was kind of as he was listing the flowers that were inside the corpse um, that he called um, the flowers that were in the heart space belladonna, um, which is another word for deadly nightshade um, or another name for deadly nightshade. Um, and the fact that it's like he just had this experience with Bella trying to commit suicide and in Hannibal's office. I just thought that that was like a really interesting correlation that he chose the Italian term um, for this point, this toxic flower that's in the heart area. Wow. wow. Um, mm-hmm. And um, high fives all around. Yeah, wow. that's that's Seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice connection. Yeah, um, because I, it's like when we were talking the last question about like, you know, what's making Jack question Hannibal, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know, but it's like, I wonder if this experience with Bella has anything to do with it, if that's informing anything, um, even though it's something that should make him feel closer to Hannibal and less suspicious of Hannibal, that Hannibal saved Bella. Um, I just wonder if there's something kind of deeper going on inside of Jack that's like, maybe that that's leading me down this path towards seeing Hannibal for who he really is. Um, but in any case, um, yeah. And then I just kind of like, I couldn't help but notice as like Will is growing these antlers, how similar they are to the branches of a tree and mm-hmm. the kind of like reaching out. Um, and mm-hmm. so these are all the things I saw <laughs> in the exquisite well, corpse. Does anyone else want to add stuff? I, I just think that, you know, going off of, you know, the visual, you know, um, the mimicking nature of those two visuals of Will and then this guy in the tree, that it's significant that this guy isn't just placed on the tree, he's grafted into it. They mm-hmm. removing the tree from this guy is going to be, um, not impossible, but it leads you to start to believe that, okay, it's now going to be very difficult to remove this new thing growing in will. Like, can Mm -hmm. you ever completely Mm -hmm. remove that once you're grafted into it? That's not a thing that happens. Um, I also think it's very significant that, and I believe Hannibal when he says he does have to process the fact that he had a near-death experience. I think he, you know, whatever Hannibal's, and I'm going to continue to say he's a bit butthurt in some way about it, but whatever it is he needs to process, he says he's processing it by writing this composition on the harpsichord. And then we immediately see that that turns into this murder tableau. Um, And so we know that's, this is how he's working through that issue is by is in this particular murder. And I don't think it's a coincidence then that we see someone in a pose that is again, very similar to what Hannibal had just experienced as well. So it's, yeah. I I would, that's that's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Like I was, I was immediately struck by life in the midst of the kind of sea of concrete, um, Mm. just as a visual sort of, uh, there the cinematography a... at the beginning with just the fog and the mm-hmm. tree and 
it was oh yeah I definitely really and yeah let's uh, I like to start I, I'm wanting to start crediting the people involved in here director of photography James Hawkinson everybody mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's amazing yeah um I feel like this particular tableau tableau it brought me in my head back to my speed racer comparison that I made a couple episodes ago. <laughs> um, Sarah, if, if you haven't heard it, um, in speed racer, racing is the most important thing in the world. You know what I mean? And the show wrote revolves around racing and it's like, it takes up a bigger space, even in the lives of the little people than it ever would in real life. And that's what serial murder is in this show. You know, like serial killers are everywhere and they're just big. It's just a big, important thing. And this show completely revolves around it. Um, like this is one of my least favorite tableaus of the show. Like this felt a step too far to me. It's so elaborate and so like crazy. And I was like, um, again, where does Hannibal get the time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they, they straight up say, you know, he, he was standing in water for 48 to 72 hours. You know, I'm like, wait, when does this happen? Um, <laughs> but it's also like, it because in Speed Racer, the, the racers have to go to these incredible lengths to one-up themselves and each other, you know, to and that's kind of what the show is doing, you know? And it, so it, it really, it brings me back to that sort of, that thought that, you know, serial murder is at the heart of the world in this show. Um, well, I don't love the tree. I really did love the bit with the poisonous flowers. I thought that was really cool, especially because, you know, shitty politicians, you know, it's kind of, if ever someone was toxic, it would be, you know, them. So it, yeah. that worked for me. I was like, ooh, look at Hannibal getting political. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, goodness. wonder and if he was a conservative or a uh, liberal. Before I offer my hot take, uh, my my recommendations, which I know is the next segment, mm -hmm. can I offer I a quick hot take? Yes. A, did everyone catch when Hannibal census says to taker? Alana, "Census yeah. taker"? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? The last yeah. person who rang my doorbell this, 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 this early, morning. You know, which I amazing. completely understand that. Like, I I understand killing and eating someone who rings my doorbell too early in the morning having come to yeah. your home once i will be aware mm -hmm. of the time when i do that yes thank you <laughs> absolutely Justin, thank i you just very much. i i i just when you were like can i offer a hot take i was like oh good he's gonna do it he's gonna bring up the census <laughs> yeah. taker so if and, anyone's gonna do it it's gonna be justin <laughs> and also did anyone else see all the fucking antlers in the room when Mm -hmm. uh jack is you know basically asking where he was that night yeah there's antlers yeah. on the wall there's antlers like there's all yeah. kinds of skulls with horns like i yeah. was like damn yeah. anyway those um, are my uh, I, I definitely yeah. want your take on the exquisite corpse uh sarah before we move on to the next little bit here sure so i felt like it was definitely i would absolutely agree that it felt overdone and i think that was almost like we can say that he was orchestrating a musical number on the, on the harpsichord. But I think that was his real attempt at like closure and return to self mm -hmm. of I'm going to do this incredibly elaborate, like he soaked the person, like we soak a piece of meat, we'll marinate it to yeah. make flavor. He's, he's doing all of these things that mimic his habits to bring him back to center. But for him, that's a good, that's a good murder, a good like <laughs> message 
that sends a very clear, like, this isn't okay. And he plays on the emotions um, via the politics, putting this tree on this parking lot. Um, but I, I think that that's what I chalked that up to. But it did, it felt almost too poetic, like, like too sweet, toothsome almost of like, I, this isn't, I don't Come on, Hannibal, you can do better than this. Part of part of the magic of you is being subtle. I, I feel like that's also a good point there. I, I feel like by not being so subtle, he's also drawing Jack into that game of like, all the organs are gone and I'm going to throw a party. Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like he's blatantly laying out all the pieces for Jack to swallow, as it were, um, to get to the point of showing Jack that he's not the Chesapeake Ripper. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? Like all of these things are so blatant. How could Jack fucking miss them this time? Uh, yeah. uh, and that's part like of that web. I feel like that Hannibal is not personally offended by this politician, but he sees the politician as a really great representation of someone he would be, you know, that would, would be the kind of person he should, he would kill in this moment. Mm -hmm. And exactly for that reason, this is a killing that is specifically intended to target Jack and set him down a path. Indeed. And I, there's obviously the second murder tableau of the guard in this episode, which mm -hmm. I don't think we need to. It's so uh, uh, on the nose of what he's attempting to do there. And we've already kind of discussed it, but it, it is a, a nice murder tableau, again, set up specifically mm -hmm. for Jack. Um, and uh, uh, I think, are, are we done with the exquisite corpse this time, Lisa? We are. I can only just add that with that second corpse um, and, you know, them finding the lures mm -hmm. because Hannibal is luring <laughs> Jack <laughs> to another place. Uh-huh. Nice. Uh, okay. On that, yeah, yeah, that is yeah. good. That is good. Also, uh, we're gonna, also yeah. props on the way you say lure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. That was a, a little, lot of just... that was a bit alluring. If I, well, I was, yeah. I was you beat me to the punch uh, there, uh... Justin, you beat me to the punch. Um, I was going to hand off to you with the word alluring, uh, hoping you'd have a, an alluring recommendation, Justin, for us, well, for the, for the <laughs> listeners. I, you know, I'm really taken with this whole chess match between Will and Hannibal, you know, and the, you know, this, you know, people using, you know, other people as pawns, but also, you know, just the, the crazy inventive means of murder, you know, that go throughout the show. Um, and that brings me to one of my favorite and comic series and one of the comic series that's most influential on me and the way I tell stories. And that's Grendel by Matt Wagner. Hmm. Um, it starts off as a story about an assassin slash crime boss, you know, and how he fights against a werewolf who's a cop, which sounds terrible, but it's really much cooler than that. Um, but the, the, the comic eventually morphs into this generational analysis of rage and anger and aggression and what that can do to people you know what being overcome by anger and aggression does to people and it, i mean the 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 series literally stretches from present day to centuries in the future and it is 
he does such smart, innovating, innovative storytelling in that as both a writer and an artist. And I'm, it is, it's, it's adult, you know, it, it has language. It has, you know, some extreme violence and the occasional splash of sexuality in it. Um, it doesn't pull any punches. It is incredibly intelligent. Um, and is, I mean, it's getting a Netflix show in the not too distant future. And even then, I think it's vastly underrated in comics canon. I think it is one of the truly brilliant pieces of comic book work. Um, and like, it is absolutely worth your time and energy. If All you've right. never read Grendel. I, I'll have to, that's one I've seriously intended to for a long time. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for the recommendation, Justin. Uh, Sarah, I want to give you the opportunity if you have a recommendation to offer, if there's anything we should check out. Mm. We're on the spot. <laughs> Here's the spot, Sarah. That's You're putting hard. you on it. I yeah. know. Not that I can think of with this episode specifically, but I'll definitely mm -hmm. think on it and let you all know if something does come to mind. Okay. Well, um, this this is a great way to invite you back to the show later for some more episodes. So thank you so much for being on this week's and last week's episode. We would definitely love to have you back. Um, I would love to. It's been absolutely. such a pleasure. That's awesome. Uh, uh, and thank you for going over time with us today. Uh, it doesn't always happen. Um, uh, to our listening audience, if you like this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon, or wherever you may listen. The new episodes of Murder Husbands drop every Tuesday. Next week, join us as we will uh, be discussing and dissecting season two, episode seven of Hannibal. Um, our other ongoing show, that episode was. Uh, also take a listen to that. Uh, we're currently in the midst of talking about the final season of The Expanse on Amazon. Um, you can uh, always help us by subscribing. Did I say this already? Uh, no. You can always help us by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a very nice comment. Um, follow us at popsicle pod on all social media platforms or sign up for our newsletter at popsiclepod.com for all upcoming and ongoing podcast related info that's p-o-p-s-k-l-p-o-d until next time don't forget to turn off the oven i've said that before so uh until next time you know uh keep cooking this sure. has been a yeah that works uh keep cooking not really but it works uh <laughs> that's it This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.